Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm Marty. I'm Don. I'm Fish. And this is the Growing with Fishes podcast. Um, we uh, have both of our co-hosts today, and uh, we're uh, also... <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Got the feedback there. All right, sorry about that. I always forget that that starts in the beginning. Anyways, um, we are joined today uh, by um, Donald Bailey. He is uh, one of the uh, longtime experts at UVI. He's been there pretty much since the beginning. In fact, I think you were there since the beginning, correct? I missed the beginning by about five years. Okay. But uh, he's definitely one of the uh, the longest-running uh, researchers at uh, UVI. Um, for those of you who don't know, they founded the uh, the commercial aquaponics model, um, the, the generally accepted commercial aquaponics model that's out there. Um, and it's a, a big honor to have him on the show today. Um, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, so why don't you tell us about uh, you know how you got uh, started uh, at UVI and then um, you know some of the or a little bit of history about that and then um, you know kind of how uh, you guys have come to be uh, what you guys are today okay <clears throat> well it did start in uh, 1979 when Jim Ercosi came to the agriculture experiment station at UVI and um, I came here in 1986 so the problems that uh, Virgin Islands farmers have are lack of arable land, you know, good agricultural land to grow crops on, and also um, a kind of an irregular and rainfall pattern that's pretty seasonal. So there's no good surface water of um, rivers to pull irrigation water out of. Uh, the wells are pretty salty. You can't rely on rainfall. And so those are so land and water issues. Uh, given the problem that uh, uh, Dr. Okosi was given was like, how do, how do you solve those problems? Uh, and his concept was to do you know, aquaculture, in, integrate uh, fish production with uh, vegetable production in the hydroponic system. And uh, so that's the beginning of uh, how, how that all developed. The idea of aquaponics, of course, had existed before that, and his research had been using water hyacinths to clean water uh, from fish production. So um, moving from just water hyacinths is a plant that would get discarded to a vegetable crop that has economic value, I think was another uh, key thing that uh, we developed here. Instead of just mitigating uh, wastewater, we're getting a fish crop and a vegetable crop out of the same system. And I guess a, a third uh, point was reduction of waste discharge into the environment. Because if you're just going to do a straight aquaculture system, uh, recirculating aquaculture, you're going to have wastewater that gets discharged and that goes into uh, receiving streams or you might have to send it to a municipal sewage system for treatment and that's going to be a cost. So if you can reduce the amount of waste that you're needing to discharge into the environment, uh, that's also a bonus. So those are pretty much the three uh, guiding principles between behind our work was um, intensification of production in a small area of land, uh, really conservative use of water, and minimal discharge into the environment. 
So um, well, they did start with media beds. Uh, we were using gravel uh, from the local quarry and found that that was, um, you had a number of different problems uh, when you go with media beds. So <clears throat> even by the time I arrived here in 86, they'd already done their first experiment where they'd removed the gravel media from one uh, set of uh, research systems and we're just doing the floating styrofoam rafts. And so we've always done, um, since 86, 86, we've been doing uh, floating deep water culture uh, on rafts uh, production. So with the deep water culture, just to jump in real quick, are you guys using, um, what are you doing for solids filtration? We have uh, passive solids removal. We have a clarifier uh, takes out by just by um, residence time in that tank, the solids uh, settle out of the water. And but because that's pretty inefficient, uh, we then we have net tanks that trap the remaining part of the solids. So using orchard netting that would cover trees uh, for bird birds preying on um, you know fruit trees, uh, we trap the rest of the solids in that net tank. Okay. So they're both uh, pretty inefficient methods to do it. Um, there are, but they're cheap. They can, uh, you know, a couple that our, you know, our system is big, so I think our our main clarifier tank is probably a thousand dollars, and the net tanks might be a couple hundred each. So you've put that cost in up front. It's very, it's actually a small part of the whole system cost, but there is uh, labor ongoing uh, to keep those. Uh, clean. There's re removing solids from the clarifier is pretty simple, but then about an hour each week to clean the net tanks out. Hmm. So there, there are technology, uh, the drum filters that can be used to take out uh, all the solids in a system, but they're a lot more expensive. So it's a trade-off. So not as much a fan of uh, like radial flow filters or uh, slow swirl filters as much as just uh, clarifiers where they settle. We have a we've we've used the um, swirl filters, the, the slow ones, and they they're as efficient as the clarifier is. Okay, right on. Yeah, there's we've did a publication on that a few years ago where we compared them. The settling tanks were uh, about the same at solids removal. I uh, have not used a radial flow filter. Yeah, I just wanted to see uh, if there was a reason that you had a preference of one over the other. But good stuff. We had a question from Chad on what what's the total size of the system or each system that you, you guys run there? Well, our big system that we consider our commercial uh, scale system is 30,000 gallons of water. Um, the fish rearing tanks would be about uh, 9,000 gallons of water, and then the rest of the water is out in the um, hydroponic tanks, and that is it's 214 square meters. I forget how that turns out into square feet. It's um, 72 rafts that are eight by four feet. So if you can do the multiplication real quick, you'd find out uh, the square footage of that but it comes up to 214 square meters. Nice. Our, produ our production is um, about 10,000 pounds of tilapia every year. 
And if we're just growing uh, lettuce in our cool season, uh, when lettuce production is the greatest, you get um, 35 to 40 cases of lettuce every week uh, during our prime lettuce season, which is, we don't, we can't grow lettuce all year round because of the heat. But um, from yeah. November, November to March, we can grow that much lettuce. What kind of uh, warm weather leafy greens do you guys grow down there? Well, when it gets warm, uh, we go to cucumbers, okra. Um, those are a couple crops that grow well in any temperature. Uh, squash does all right. But all the leafy greens kind of uh, drop out. I guess we've, we grow basil in the summertime, uh, Genovese basil. But as far as, you know, uh, kale and collards, pak choy, those are some of our regular winter crops that uh, they really decrease in uh, production in the warm temperatures. And we're really just talking about five degrees difference in water temperatures, but you can really see a difference. Yeah, it definitely does make a big difference when it comes to uh, yeah. the oxygenation and the root development when it, looking at the water temperature. So mm -hmm. I totally get that. Yeah. What is um, what kind of uh, testing have you guys done with silica um, in relation to aquaponics? Uh, we have not looked at that as a nutrient. I know you're a fan of supplementing uh, silica. Yeah, I was but, kind of curious. Yeah, have not isolated that, and it doesn't. Uh, we do get our water quality tested um, about every week, especially when we're doing a trial. And it's really not even a standard um, element that's tested for by our lab. So um, it'd be something to look into. What, what form would you add silica? Um, so and, uh, replace your potassium. Are you guys using potassium hydroxide or carbonate for your pH? Yeah, potassium hydroxide. Okay, so you'd replace your potassium hydroxide with potassium silicate. Um, okay. Just until you got it up to the level you wanted, and then you can go back to, you know, alternating it occasionally with your um, uh, you know, normal potassium supplement. And what is the level we want it? Um, so for vegetable growing, um, we found that it's best to keep it above 60 parts per million. Um, you can go as low as 55 parts per million for lettuce. Um, but it helps a lot, especially in northern climates where you get a little bit of cold and you get the the, the fungus in the uh, in the lettuces. And then it also helps a lot, especially with cucumbers, zucchini, squash, um, pumpkins, all those that tend to get powdery mildew really bad by the end of the season, just mm -hmm. kind of automatically because of the humidity. Um, it really makes a large difference for those. Also with cannabis as well, we found. But uh, especially in the zucchini and cucumber and squash, it really makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So it's a uh, disease prevention. Yeah, it helps the the plant's immune system. It helps a lot with plant stress. It also mm -hmm. helps plants with the uh, heat stress quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I we'll probably look at that sometime. But um, so back to our system. Maybe just to walk our way through it, we've sure. got our four fish rearing tanks that uh, we do staggered stocking. So at six-week intervals, we stock a rearing tank with uh, 650 gram fish, and we allow them to grow for 24 weeks and before the harvest comes. So at week uh, zero, you stock, then week six, 12, 18, 
and in week 24, you come back to your first tank and harvest and immediately restock them. And so doing that uh, production system, we um, have a little bit, uh, you have about eight to nine harvests every year, depending on how they fall in the calendar. And um, each harvest, you have 600 fish growing up to two pounds each. So you're around uh, 1,000, 1,200 pounds, depending on your survival and how uniformly they grew. So we say 1,000 pounds. And um, so that eight to nine times a year is where we're coming up with our, so 10,000 pounds is probably your good number for pounds of fish that you're producing. And this is tilapia in the tropics and we're in an outdoor environment. So uh, your numbers will vary depending on your water temperatures because they do slow down uh, in production when the water gets cold. So the, the fish are fed a manufactured diet of uh, Perina Aquamax, we, we import that. It's 32% protein. And we're <clears throat> trying to grow the fish as fast as we can. So we need to give them the highest quality food. If you feed them a low quality food, that's gonna slow down their growth rate. They're not gonna get to that two pound size in 24 weeks. And so either you'll reduce the amount of production you have. But alternative feed is an area that we're looking at. Right now, uh, a lot of people want to know if we can, if you can grow duckweed and feed that back to the fish. So we're, um, we do research in duckweed right now. A student worker is, is on that. And it's probably true that you can grow the duckweed off of the waste that you collect from the system. Um, how much you can produce and whether it slows down the growth rate enough that, uh, you know, you're going to substitute out some of that food uh, that you're importing and feeding it the duck feeding the fish the duckweed so there's going to be a trade-off and there'll be some break-even point that you can uh, determine at what point is it worthwhile growing duckweed to feed um, feed the fish so the the fish have eaten uh, they're going to the bathroom the solid waste is getting removed from the system in the clarifier and the net tanks which we already discussed a little bit you don't want to have any of that solid waste going out into the hydroponic tanks because it clogs up on the plant roots in the first section of the trough. And um, if it does settle out in the bottom of the hydroponic troughs, then of course it's just going to de decay, be a secondary source of ammonia and be another water quality factor that you have to manage. So, getting all the solids out before the hydroponic tanks is really uh, critical. And then our hydroponic beds are um, four feet wide and 100 feet long, and the water, they're in pairs, uh, so the water's traveling down and back and into the sump. And when you look at our pictures of our system, you do see these three pairs of hydroponic tanks. That's an artifact of how we developed our technology. We had two smaller systems uh, for a couple years. We wanted to modify the design of the fish production side, so we um, took out the rearing tanks and then we and we combined uh, those pairs of hydroponic tanks. So uh, there's definitely, if I were going to start from scratch, I would make uh, just two, one pair two hydroponic tanks, they'd be wider and longer 
and have the same growing area as what we have, but you'd save on uh, some space. So the water then returns from the hydroponic tanks and into the sump. We have a um, one half horsepower circulating pump down there and the water gets pumped up to the rearing tank and off it goes again. It takes about um, five hours for the water to cycle through from the sump uh, through the rearing tanks and other components and then back to the sump. So that's a quick walkthrough. Have you done any uh, experimentation with black soldier flies or with um, changing the food source as far as uh, minerals? Uh, we have grown black soldier flies. Uh, another good possibility. Uh, we don't currently process any of our fish, so uh, we didn't have that many fish carcasses to deal with, but I like the idea uh, if you have, were having a processing plant to feed them your uh, fish carcasses. Definitely a good way to get rid of them. But sourcing all that material for black soldier flies is, I think, the limiting factor. If I were to go around the island and go to restaurants and ask for all the plate scrapings from them, that becomes too too uh, costly in terms of my time and effort. So I would really want to have that waste uh, stream to be on site and um, be able to grow my black soldier flies with something that I'm producing myself instead of sourcing it from other uh, facilities. What um what surprises have you come across um, you know in your different testing and different things you guys have experimented with? Hmm. Well, I'd say, you know, the one big drawback of our, our system is actually the energy use. Uh, because we've intensified, you know, we're required to aerate the fish tanks, uh, keep all those water quality parameters at their highest level. And we, to do all that, we use a lot of energy. So it's really, a, I think our the problem we need to address is how, is like, what is the trade-off when you start reducing the amount of aeration uh, into the tanks and uh, especially I would cut air to the hydroponic troughs uh, and see how that impacts the uh, plant growth. But that's uh, I think that's a big constraint for, for us right now is is the energy use. Did you have a question, Marty? Yeah. Oh. Um, what, uh, oh, yeah, what well, was I was just wondering, I mean, you were, you were talking about energy use sort of being the constraint in the oxygen. Um, you, you, were, you know, are you thinking about experimenting with it? Or you have, I, I think my internet skipped out for a second. Uh, I think you said you were either we're thinking about or were, uh, had already started experimenting with cutting off your oxygen blowing into the tank. Is that Yep. We're more thinking about it than doing it right now. Hopefully we'll be doing it, let's say, by May. <coughs> Last fall, I, uh, because we have those three pairs of hydroponic tanks, I do have some options and uh, playing around with that. So I cut off all the air to one set of hydroponic troughs, and I reduced the air to another pair by half and left the uh, other pair, you know, 
operating normally. And there were definitely uh, differences. The system with no air at any time of the day, uh, 24 hours off, you know, definitely uh, had a much smaller plants. So um, my idea is actually just to turn off the aeration at night. And uh, that's kind of couples with uh, going off grid. I, if, I, if I'm able to reduce the amount of aeration I need overnight, then I, need, I wouldn't need less battery uh, backup uh, to, uh, to, to run my system. Uh, over, right, have you considered um, like maybe draining those tanks? Um, I know maybe in your system you can't, can't do it right now, but uh, one of the things that I've done before is shut down some of my systems for a period of time um, and just made sure that the, the tanks were empty as opposed to full so you weren't, um, you weren't doing that. So I don't know if you guys have thought about uh, doing that, but I, I definitely have considered that as well for myself just in terms of power usage. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, even shutting down the system all, you know, all together for certain lengths of time um, or using timers as opposed to like right now I use siphon systems so that, you know, that it's constantly running and, you know, it helps give the, the roots exposure to air without pulling it from the water. Right. Um, but I, I've, uh, I've been wanting and I haven't, I haven't done it yet, but basically combine the two where you would have, you know, be able to drain the, um, be able to drain the raft beds and still have the the roots suspended in the dark. Um, yep. So. We, yeah, we would definitely have to re-engineer the system uh, to do that. Yeah, I was thinking you probably have to lift it up in the air. Yeah. Probably sits too low for that now. We've got a lot of water in those tanks. And to, to drain them out, you need to have a, a sump somewhere on the side to, to hold that uh, quantity of water. So right. that'd be our that'd be our constraint, and and yeah, there's a, there's different ways to engineer around a problem, and that might be a solution. But if you're in like a if you're in a greenhouse uh, where you're already constrained by space and available land, um, you know you have to think about where you'd put that water when you drain it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So right now in my system, we're growing um, two kinds of lettuce, uh, a pak choy and um, kale, two kinds of basil, uh, the green Genovese and a red one uh, called red Reuben. I've got some sunflowers in right now for the cut flower uh, business. Um, I've got some tomatoes really for the first time in a long time. I really shy away from fruiting crops. I like crops that, the vegetable crops especially, that are leafy, leafy greens that are in and out uh, within a three to four week time period. Just gives you good cash flow. You've got, uh, you stagger the production so that you're only harvesting a third of your system uh, every week. And so you've got uh, constantly you have a product to take to the market. Your buyers are expecting something every week. It's not like you're telling them, well, I can bring it to you the first of the month, you know, every four weeks, and you're going to have a bunch of it uh, if, you have, if you plan on harvesting the whole system just once a month. So um, staggering your production, uh, I like for cash flow. These tomatoes that I put in there, they were uh, 
seeded in early, let's say mid-December. Right now I've got a lot of fruit on the plant, but I don't have not, nothing red, nothing ready to pick yet. And here we are at the beginning of March. So that's um, one, two, two and a half months that I haven't uh, produced anything from them yet. And in that same period of time, I could have had three harvests of lettuce from that area. And I've got this envision a raft that's four by eight feet with um, 60 heads of lettuce on them at a dollar each. So that's $180 worth of lettuce that I could have produced in that time period. And I still don't have even $1 from the tomatoes. And I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to produce $180 worth of tomatoes, uh, I'd say over the next month. So <clears throat> that's why I, I really like the leafy green uh, for you know good cash flow for an aquaponic farmer. Um, it's always yeah, fun. It's yeah, it's always fun to grow fruiting crops and your customers are gonna be interested in buying other products from you too, but uh, don't commit a large portion of your farm to those crops, you know, you really, I mean, it's, it's all about cash flow. You're paying your workers every day. You're, you're paying your electric bill. Um, those are, you know, your daily costs. And you, at the end of the month, you need to be able to pay them with the product that you've uh, produced and sold. Yeah, and it also, it also depends, too, on uh, what kind of um, uh, what kind of supplementation or, what you know, other uh, things you're doing, or if you're growing something like uh, cannabis, which most of us do, where you're able to get a nice big cash crop every two or three uh, uh, months, you know? Mm -hmm. It definitely depends on the crop. Yeah, I think it also still kind of suffers from that same thing where, you know, pretty much no matter what, I mean, I guess maybe the exception being clones, um, you know, you're still pretty much limited to being, uh, you know, a, a cash crop every few months as opposed to having a certain portion of it. Now you can't stagger it as well. I know a lot of people do so that you're only harvesting a, a third at a time and be able to do that. But I think the the nice thing about uh, greens like you're talking about is that they, they just go so fast from, from seed to harvest um, w without a lot of prep time or veg time or, um, you know, needing a separate facility to get them going or, you know, anything like that. So it definitely still, still suffers a little bit from that uh, complexity as opposed to just, you know, the simple fact that, you know, uh, throwing some seeds out and, you know, letting them grow for three weeks and then taking them to the market is, you know, um, it's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned uh, supplements. Some of the fruiting crops you need to foliar spray to make sure that they've got balanced nutrients. Um, the calcium on my squash is, pretty common one because they get blossom end rot and uh, the, the tomatoes, they might need more potassium in the uh, mix because the, wa the water has so much nitrogen in it that they have got a lot of um, foliage growing. They don't have that much fruiting. So in order to get them to, to, to fruit, you need to add um, phosphorus. So there's a lot, there's more management uh, required if you're doing a fruiting crop than just the, uh, straight uh, leafy greens. Right, and then indoors you would also have to, you know, worry about, um, you know, pollination and all that stuff if you're doing like cucumbers or tomatoes or. Yes, uh, right. 
anything like that. So it definitely just, just makes it more complex. But, uh, you know, you probably do still need, I think, probably need a certain amount of it, um, you know, just for the, the show value and the, you know, like you mentioned, other people are going to, or the same people are going to want to buy other products from you. So right. it definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is the mic working? I've been having a little technical difficulty over here. <laughs> I can hear you now. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I'm like, why is everyone ignoring me? This is really, really not cool. <laughs> we just uh, don't like you, really. We muted yeah. you, turned you off. Man, you're just like my mom. Um, always ignoring me, putting me to the side. Anyways, um, but I was going to say, it's good uh, for foliar anyways, just as a regular IPM, I find. Um, so when it comes to supplementing uh, with foliar sprays, it's uh, just a really good way to help boost production on any plant, be it veggie or um, medical, I've noticed. Like it really helps out with all my uh, leafy greens and everything. I've noticed um, my kale's gotten a lot better tasting, and just everything's really stepped up. The thing yes, a lot of people, the thing a lot of people do wrong is that they'll spray right before the plant goes to sleep when the lights go off, um, and the, actually that's when the stomata are at their smallest diameter. You really want to spray about an hour after the lights come on when the stomata are at their largest diameter, so you can get the largest molecule up into that plant. Yeah, but I think their mentality with that is also things like um, Azimax or neem oils or other oily products. You're going to give your plants a little bit of a sunburn, so they might be well, trying to avoid that. Unless you're using, say, uh, optic foliar, which I've noticed I can spray those things and not really have uh, an issue with any burn. Well, you also have better luck with a fogger than you will with an actual, like water sprayers as well but yeah i know you can get a little bit of burn which can look a little bit like spider mite damage but it can be you're still gonna get a better res input result if you do it then yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree with my lights so with the leds they're they're a little softer yeah yeah no definitely Especially when you're comparing that LED you're talking about to, say, a 1,000-watt high-pressure sodium. Oh, yeah, for indoor especially, yeah, that might be more of an issue, but still. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, just in general, that is melting the outside of the plant to start with. So <laughs> throwing water on top is not, probably not the best idea. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. But for the LEDs here, I do it fine as long as it's just water. I do avoid oil spray, but that's about it. And I do lift them up in the air, so anytime I spray anything, I lift them up so they're you know they're a good you know probably three feet above the canopy. And when you say you lift them. Oh, you're talking about the lights, okay? I was like, you're lifting the yeah. plants. Let's just take them towards the light, Marty. No, no, wouldn't do that. Yeah, so my lights are, you know, I can just pull them up on the, I have an adjustable thing, so just lift them up pretty easy. And, uh, and um, you mentioned sources of silica earlier, and uh, one of the things that I do is I ferment um, horsetail fern, which I can harvest here locally, just about any stream, and, uh, and I ferment it and, uh, and then use it as a foiler spray. It works great for adding silica and um, treats mold and all kinds of good stuff in that. Yep. So I don't know. I know horsetail fern is pretty common. There's a lot of different kinds of it. So, um, but it's a pretty interesting plant and it's a great source of those sort of trace minerals. 
So I do that as a foil layer quite a bit. You just have to be a little bit careful. If you dose real large amounts of horsetail fern, it can lock out the vitamin B availability in your plants. So you can do it, but you don't want to do it every single week. And as far as making your own teas, you get a lot of variability in the quality of the tea that you've produced. You know, you don't, you're not making a uniform batch every time. And so yep. it's hard to replicate over time. And then it's also hard to, to tell other people how to do it and have them replicate it the, the same way as well. So, you know. Yeah. You know, it's like when you buy something in a bottle from a company, uh, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed analysis, but you don't know what you're getting when you're making your own teas all the time. That's true. It's, you know, so, it's far less of an exact science in, in terms of that, uh, you know. So, yeah. But so the trade-off is you can, you can harvest it locally and it doesn't, yeah. doesn't really cost you anything. Right. I'm just thinking in terms of the industry, you know, and building that out beyond uh, – personal scale and hobby scale stuff, you know, to, to actually commercialize these ideas, you know, you need to have uniformity. I've done a lot of experimenting with the potassium silicate, also with silicate, silicon dioxide, which is a much lower availability. Um, your pH anywhere near as much. Um, and also, you know, had had halfway decent luck with that, um, but uh, but I think your microphone's dropping out again, Stevie. Yeah, your microphone dropped Steven. again, Steven. He's is he gone? Oh, thank God. It took him long enough to leave. I've been waiting. <laughs> All right, back to the Marty right. show. Mark, yeah. what's going on with you, dude? Uh, I'm just DDoS and Steve, you know, kicking him off the yeah. mic. Uh, so, to put him in check. Uh, what's going on with me? Um, I've been working on my indoor, kind of getting that a little more beefed up. And, uh, yeah, just sort of grinding away on that. I have my little sips box here next to me. I'm feeding uh, – Aquaponic water too. I don't know if you guys can see that very well or not. But uh, anyway, little sub-irrigated planter I have run in there. So uh, I added it in. Uh, oh, looks go. like Steve's back. Yay, Steve. Boo. Uh, Sorry about that. My, uh, Boo doggy. this man. And uh, so it just gets fed tank water <laughs> after I dose uh, from, the, from the worm bin. Um, then I take water out of the main tank and fill it up here. But honestly, I don't, I don't even have to do it very much. I'm just now starting to get down to where I can see the top of the rocks in the reservoir. And, uh, and I think it's been about maybe a week and a half or so since I added water to it. So, um, it's probably going to be about once every two weeks. I think that it's going to end up needing water and other than that, it's going to be, a um, pretty much hands off. I've, I've really done too much to it, so I like it so far. It's a nice way to sort of expand the, you know, um, like if I, you know, doing water changes or, you know, taking stuff out of the the filters or any of that kind of stuff can end up going into the earth boxes or, you know. Right on, man. So it's pretty cool. Okay. It probably I makes more of a, 
I think my internet stabilized. Tell me if it didn't. Uh, yeah, you're you're back. Okay, I don't really know what happened there. Just had a hiccup with the internets. Um, uh, what is the strangest or most difficult plant you guys have grown there at UVI? Well, <laughs> the most difficult plant. Um, I mean, really, probably tomatoes are the most difficult to get them to fruit because we have so much nitrogen in the system. Um, the strangest plant, I'm not sure it's, I'd call it strange, but um, we grow the roselle, which uh, is used in hibiscus tea. Um, we call it sorrel down here. It's a red, pear, uh, it's a red pod. It's uh, very related to okras, and that's a really good um, crop. Um, another thing that's you know, really popular now are the bitter melons in the cucumber family. They, you know, uh, people looking for natural cures for high blood pressure, uh, they eat this bitter melon. So that's uh, another crop. Once you like target in on special needs people, uh, then you can, um, you know, boost the price up. So locally produced bitter melon is a good crop for us. I just, I just want to clarify, I, when you I, say special needs people, you're talking about people who specifically want a particular plant and right. not somebody with a handicap. Right, yeah. Okay, I was going to say, if you're, if you're ranking up the price for handicapped people, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> no. Special diets. Well, uh, yeah, special diet. People who need special diets. We uh, raise the price for them. I mean, we, we want to grow a crop that that, that they're, that's desirable to, to uh, them as well. So yeah, we would, we would, we would grow that. Um, so another, crop I, another crop I grew a while ago was, um, uh, why can't I ever th think about it? Um, uh, I'm, it's slipping my mind right now what it is. It's not flax. It, we were growing it for fiber. Um, I want to say sisal, but Anyhow, we were anyhow we were just growing a fiber crop because uh, it was like um, because you can't grow leafy greens in the summertime as well. If you just want to kind of take a break from growing things in your in your system, uh, if you can grow a crop, it's still going to take up the nitrogen waste and do the uh, water treatment that you need to have happen. But you don't really have to care about the quality of the of a a food crop coming out of it. So we were growing um, growing a fiber crop for that. And, uh, right on. I'll know, I'll know it when I say it. It's, um, Fennel, maybe? <laughs> anyway. If it's, it's uh, anything oh, oh, related it's, to... Uh, oh, go ahead. Jute. I'm sorry. Jute. Okay, I would have been way off. Yeah. Okay. And jute's made into rope, and uh, it might have a, a small market for some uh, people who are into natural fibers and knitting and making their own cloth, you know, getting uh, back to the earth, making your own clothing. Uh, so you could grow jute and, um, and basically just, you know, grow it through the summertime or when, a, when you want to take some time down on your regular vegetable crop and, uh, but still have a, something in the system. Because once you get the system started, you really don't get to stop it again. It takes too long to start it up uh, 
and get uh, the fish acclimated and, and growing and the bacteria uh, started. So um, always keep the system running, even if you're not growing a productive crop. Yep, always got to export those nutrients. Yes, mm -hmm. get them out of there. Um, what do you feel is not covered enough in aquaponic teaching or in aquaponic media as far as topics or, you know, particular problems? Probably startup cost. People think they can, can, uh, can do it really cheaply. Uh, they don't want to invest uh, that much money into it. And it's actually a pretty intensive uh, system. You're taking all these unnatural components, you know, fiberglass tanks or line tanks, uh, expensive components, fitting them all together with PVC pipe, uh, making sure the water flows the right direction, uh, just get, you know, getting the design right um, are all real important things. And I think, uh, so you see a lot of <clears throat> systems you know, on the internet that this will work, but they they are not really tested, you know, the really low cost systems and how much effort goes into running a little low cost system with low production versus, uh, you know, putting the, investing the proper amount of money into it if you're going to be commercial and getting the returns that you, that you've been looking for. You know, if you want to quit, if you want to quit your day job, you need to invest. Very true. And uh, something I just want to interject real quick and uh, follow up on. I've been forgetting the whole show because you're talking earlier about how you guys steered away from media beds and you mentioned the gravel. And when I started out, I did uh, was a three quarter inch gravel, which um, mm -hmm. if you've ever seen videos from Murray Hallam. He kind of uh, talks about and that's where I got the idea. But after about a year, when the beds were getting a little gunked up and a little bit too much fish waste, um, I tried to make an air spear to blow it off the bottom. Uh, easily like it would with a hydrogen bed, but that gravel, man, I, it was just impossible. Mm -hmm. You have to completely empty out that bed. Basically, if you want to get rid of the excess sludge and waste. So yeah, um, for anybody out there that's going to be doing them kind of media, I would steer away from, you don't want a headache. Uh, I would actually invest the cash it takes to get the hydrogen media. Uh, it's much easier to work with in the long run. Uh, if you have heavier plants, like uh, fruit trees, you might be trying to do um, in the aquaponic grow bed. I guess you go, I say go with um, the gravel, but get a fil solids filter in there. If you're in there to clean some of that out, you're going to just have a headache and a half with the gravel. And every time you harvest a crop, uh, you're leaving roots behind. So really not good for the lettuces and things where you're removing the whole plant every time. You know, no, if you, uh, I always have to reach in there and dig most of them out. I feel like I can leave some of them just because of all the enzymes that are naturally in there and all the composting worms I've got in my media. But yeah, you mm -hmm. got to get as much of that dead material out of there so you don't have an anaerobic zone building up. Yep. And hydrotone is pretty expensive. And that's where things Unfortunately, like, I know that story way too well. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. I was going to say, that's when things like red worms and especially black worms, you know, your real small worms species uh, come into play to help. You know, they won't solve everything, but they definitely help with that, with that situation. Another thing you can do is use like other microbials. Like, for instance, if you have a bed that you want to just clean up, 
um, you can decouple it from the system. And um, I've spread out like a um, EM1 powder, like the, um, is it just a, it's a rice flour, uh, basically, or rice bran, I guess it is. Let's a Bokashi about- bran, that's what I was trying to think of. It's an EM1 Bokashi bran. And so spread all that out and cover it up and, you know, in a matter of just a few weeks, you know, they'll eat through a lot of the solids and uh, and make it a lot easier to clean out. We're going to do a little myth posting later. There was a pretty outrageous post in the aquaponics world this week. And uh, they just had too much bad information for us not to not to reply to. You, Marty's. I knew laughing. you'd bring it up. I knew you had to. Marty's laughing. It's. it's I am laughing. Too. I literally was in tears laughing when I read this originally. It was just like, oh god, people would actually think this stuff is like real information. So you'll never guess what website it's from. Oh yeah, you'll never guess. <laughs> no, I'll stay out of it then. Oh no, no, it's five fine. times. Oh no. Oh yes. Yeah, it was high time. No. <laughs> um what do you Talk see as the uh, what is the what do you see as the future of the aquaponics industry going forward, you know, in the next couple of years? In the in the near future, it's always it's going to be just um based on cities and local local uh production, local markets. Uh There's just too many people in the world right now that uh, you know people ask me if uh, is aquaponics going to replace conventional agriculture and probably not for another hundred years uh, because there's just too many people right now but the system uh, isn't that isn't I mean it's really productive and it's it's addressing that problem of waste discharge I think that's probably where it'll come in to more being more impactful like in a hundred years when we're uh, limited on other nutrients and uh, we want to reclaim all the we can from uh, waste streams but right now uh, conventional agriculture is you know really what's feeding the world so we're I still look at it as you know high value crops for um, you know people who really want to be part of the food supply understand where their their food's coming from but it's not uh, the you know general public that's going to be buying aquaponics uh, vegetables uh, and paying paying the premium price that we need to to get from uh, from our production because we have we're covering a lot more uh, costs than they do in just conventional field production. What is your opinion on um, a lot of these isolated microbial inoculants? Um, I know Marty and I are both a big fan of stuff like Mammoth P, which are mm-hmm. isolated um, phosphorus uh, microbes that work similar to the way the nitrification process works, but for phosphorus to help unlock a lot of, you know, because it's a large percentage of locked up phosphorus in the systems already. Um, it helps make a lot of that more value available. What do you think, what do you see as the future of those? You know, I oh. think that's a way that we can get a lot more... Um, um, nutrients out of yeah. these systems without necessarily having to worry about fish health, you know. Yeah, and mammoth peas now we're creating uh, mammoth N and, and mammoth K as well. Yep. Yeah, uh, those are definitely the ways that things are going to be going um, to to extract those nutrients out of the waste streams and using you know biological methods uh, to do it. But those are you know. Uh, yeah, the the impact is uh, 
getting trying to get all the nutrients out of that waste stream you know that's why you see more decoupled systems now because uh, you can increase your production uh, with a side stream flow basically uh, through another aquaponics just a straight hydroponic system and uh, pull out more nutrients so whatever you whatever you got to, to get that done uh, those are all definitely uh, on the horizon of what's what's going to be happening in aquaponics. And just for people who are new, would you be able to possibly uh, just explain what a decoupled system is, as opposed to like a regular uh, system with just a sump tank, a fish tank, and a grow bed? Yeah. Well, instead of um, having it all in one system, you might have you have just a, a fish recirculating aquaculture system, which is producing a waste stream, and then you take that waste and uh, aerate it, oxidize it, make sure it's stabilized, uh, remove the ammonia waste from it, and then feed that to a uh, straight hydroponic system. So the, the hydroponics system runs by itself and the aquaculture system run by itself. And the source of nutrients is from the, for the hydroponics is from the aquaculture system. Okay, right on. And is there ever really a risk of, uh, since you've got the plants in a separate system from the uh, aquaculture system, from what I'm hearing, is there ever a risk of getting, uh, you know, a nitrogen toxicity uh, before you can no. try and uh, get the water um, cleaned up a little bit for the fish? Uh, I would be, you, you, treat, you treat the water through aeration for, it might be two weeks before you um, move that water into your hydroponic tanks. So no, it'd be, it would be, that's why I say stabilize the water first. Uh, make sure the ammonia is all oxidized out of it. Right on. And, uh, you know, so I, the problem with the decoupled system is you're probably going to be deficient in some nutrients. You're not, you're, you might have to watch for uh, more opportunities to supplement than in a um, recirculating, you know, a, a, a coupled system. Yeah, that's why that's why we do the uh, the dual root zones with and allows us to supplement directly in the, mm -hmm. in the single loop without having any issues. It also gives us a lot more uh, microbial diversity at the root zone, uh, especially we notice for woody crops such as trees or um, some of the other stuff that's uh, blueberries and raspberries. They really do much, and even things like uh, osha root is another good one. Um, there's a couple of medicinal herbs. Uh, excuse me, it's escaping me at the top of my head at the moment, but um, that do much better with that, uh, even a shallow soil layer um, for the mycorrhizal networks uh, that, you know, really help those woodier crops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to keep crops in the system for a really long time because of the uh, sitting in the water, which is an unnatural environment for a lot of them. So they're, they're more open to disease um, fungal diseases, uh, insects, even underwater. Uh, some. So keeping them, that's, you know, one of the reasons I focus on those quick crops in and out before they can get sick. So once you're looking at a, a long-term crop, uh, those blueberries got to be really uh, expensive when you're, after you've grown that crop for uh, six months and you're finally getting around to picking a blueberry. Yeah, I try and focus on three-month-long crops myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I think I'm going to head out if you have any more questions. Okay. Uh, let's just check chat real quick. I really appreciate you taking the time to yep. join us. Let's check chat and make sure. Yeah, thanks for all the information. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Anyone else wrote in? Fish guy, you have anything else? Uh, no, this was all great. I learned a lot today. Um, I'm glad I got to stay for more than five minutes for once. Uh, yep. We'll try and make that more of a regular occurrence. <laughs> and thanks again for stopping right. in on the show today, man. Um, I'm sure the viewers got to learn a lot of material. Yeah, I will um, listen into your podcast more often. To become a become a regular. All right, appreciate it. All right, what? Feel free to join okay. us at any time. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Okay, appreciate well, the call. Have a great rest of your day, man. All right, bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Oh, how are you guys nice doing? Guy. Yeah, he was great. I really appreciate him joining us. Um, if you guys are looking interested to learn more, um, check out in the description. Um, there's a link to his classes he teaches down at UVI. There's some of the best out, out there. Um, you know, if you want to go away to the tropics, um, it's definitely uh, one to um, want to check out. Um, also. For those of you wanting to take a cannabis class, the next Sakaponic cannabis class will be taught up at Ouroboros on March 25th and 26th um, in Ouroboros at Half Moon Bay, California. Give that a check out. Um, sorry about that. I had to, wanted to mention that before I forgot. Oh, no problem. Do you guys so, like limit the number of seats, or how does that? How does your uh, what's your format like for that? Yeah. We can do up to 52 people. Um, I prefer to have a class of like 30 or less because I feel like I can actually. So that's your stocking density. Questions. The max is 52. <laughs> I think that's the most that we can do there, if memory serves me right. But it's been a while since we taught one that big. <laughs> but we did have a blast. At last weekend, we taught. I taught up at uh, Ouroboros. Um, for the medicinal herb class, we had a really good time. I appreciate everyone coming out there. I'll post a couple pictures up um, of the class. It'll be fun. But uh, yeah, that uh, rock and roll, man. That bitter melon that he was talking about is one of the plants that I actually go over in the class. Well, hey, I'm gonna cut out and go H2O2 some pots and get them ready for clones that I'm putting in uh, hopefully in a few days in the system. I'm just waiting for a few more to root, but they're tormenting me in the meantime. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be great, man. I just got the new Black Dog Light in the mail uh, yesterday. Put it up. It looks fabulous. Spectrum Kings look good. I just fixed that plumbing issue. It only took a week. And uh, yeah. Um, Marty, I hope everything's going well with you and the family. Steve, hope everything's going down well with you down south. Uh, if I can make it down there in the next two weeks, which I'm hoping to do, uh, depends on work, I will definitely hit you up so we can link up. Really, Steve? Steve? Stevie! And he's gone. <laughs> All right, man. We'll take All it right, easy. Take All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Marty Show. Marty, I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Have a good one. Later. Hopefully, Steve will be back in here pretty soon. So I was just looking in uh, 
I posted this to the aquaponic cannabis growers group too. If you guys want to check this out, but looks like sessions, uh, Jeff sessions is going to recuse himself from Russia investigation, which that's sort of the duh. Hopefully that actually happens. And also, I guess on here by myself, I'll show you this too. So we were talking about decoupled aquaponics. Here's sort of a really easy example. That's decoupled from the system. It just has water that I fill up to the tank. So that goes in here. And uh, down there in the bottom is the reservoir. So that's separate from the aquaponic system, which is over there behind me. And is in part of the recirculating system. So, what goes into this plant here that you're looking at, the water just evaporates out, and any solids that are in it are, are left in the bottom of the reservoir and digested by Okashi. So, there's an example of here, this would be decoupled because it is not part of the system and uh, I manually feed it, but not very often. So, who's on chat? Let me go check that out, I'm not even looking. What, is that an earth box? Yes, that is basically an earth box. Um, so it's a homemade one. Uh, you can check it out on my channel, uh, AP Meds. I made a video about it, uh, but essentially it's just a plastic storage container. Uh, <laughs> what's up, Brian? Or Brain, sorry, Brain Grow. Um, so the bottom third of that uh, storage container is lava rock or hydrogen um, media that I pulled out. Um, and then there's uh, landscaping paper is laid down in between. Uh, to keep the soil up out of the bottom and then uh, so that makes a little reservoir down at the bottom and I add uh, water and tea in through the pipe there which has holes drilled in the bottom of it um, so it's basically a homemade earth box and I do highly recommend checking those out um, and uh, especially if you like don't have a system or room to run a system right now or you're just starting and you want to like grow some meds, for instance, if you have a sudden need to do so for yourself or a family member, um, Google up probiotic wellness garden. It's like everything you need. It's simple, stupid. Um, and uh, it's basically a dual root zone, but with its own little reservoir down at the bottom. Um, and uh, so, yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, if you want to look up how to make uh, or how I made this one, you can check out the video on my YouTube and I talked about it a little bit more, but for the most part, uh, that's it. You fill up the, the rest with soil and uh, keep that reservoir topped off. But again, you're only only watering it about once every two weeks and uh, it's super easy. I am doing dual root zone, but the soil never dries out. Is it supposed to? Yes, the soil is absolutely supposed to dry out Kool-Aid. You want to raise your pots up or lower your water level. Um, so it's you're, you're getting too much wicking in your soil layer. Steve, are you back yet? 
Yep. Can you hear me? Oh, cool. I was just filling time while you were gone. No, I was just uh, fixing the links. The guy said the links weren't working in chat. Just trying sure. to fix them. So I appreciate uh, him letting us know. Right on. So I see Bringuro is back with us again. Yeah, I want to try and get him on the show here soon. I was looking at some of his YouTubes the other day. Nice. So do you want to uh, talk about fucking session stuff? <laughs> <laughs> fucking session stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so I just read that article, and um, I don't really know. I mean, there's not really any Russia investigations right now that I know of. So it kind of seems like, what is he recusing himself from? And why isn't he just being prosecuted <laughs> or investigated? Right. I would much rather hear about either of those things. You know, like, I don't know. I'm glad that he is, if they do ever have any. But I'm sure they'll just get some other fucking lackey to say whatever they want. It's the government, after all. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk about how last week, you weren't on the show last mm -hmm. week, and uh, I was hoping to have you on the show. Do you want to talk about, um, I don't know, I guess the implications of Sean Spicer's shit yesterday? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, for anybody that was looking to get in the recreational market, um, you know, like myself included, you know, we had plans all put together and uh, property being purchased and sort of everything uh, all set and ready to go, budgets made. And, uh, and then obviously when, when you get confronted with something like, you know, possibly being outright targeted um, and um, even like threatening a high times event, uh, I don't know if you heard about that, but um, yep. so, you know, when uh when that stuff starts to happen and I, <laughs> people get get nervous and that that's what happened here so basically uh you know they'll probably still end up doing something on a smaller scale but uh and have to stay in the medical market um which is probably fine but you're uh you know you're talking about you know a, a quarter of the plants that they could grow previously um which means a quarter of the profit, which means relocating myself is not, not really an option. So, uh, and they were, they were pretty fair about it and open and honest. And they, you know, they paid me for my consulting up, up until this point. And, uh, so all that's good, but definitely I would have liked to see that project sort of come to fruition as opposed to go by the wayside, um, at least for now. So, I'll be setting up my maximum plans that I can here and probably uh, looking for another piece of property here here locally. And so pretty much all that is just because people are afraid of jail. And that's because, you know, Sessions came out and said, or not uh, Sessions, but Spicer came out and said that. And then Sessions followed him up afterwards and said, yep. Uh, you know, and Sessions is on record already, you know, talking about how good people don't smoke marijuana. And, you know, it's pretty, uh, you know, sort of the writings on the wall. So when you're, a, you know, when you're an investor looking to invest in something, it changes the risk of, uh, of whether or not you're going to get your return. And 
that's a that's a realistic thing and you know i guess i just uh wish that they would uh you know stop killing jobs that's not really what they're supposed to be doing absolutely it's pretty fucked i didn't even know i don't even know what to say last week it was just like really we're gonna do this shit again like come on we, we just got past all this shit but at least like the governments of california and um colorado and a bunch of other states or it looks like they're gonna band together and file our kind of lawsuits to try and block it so we'll see now hopefully it looks yeah. like sessions will be kicked out of office yeah i mean he really should um at this point, like, uh, <laughs> I don't see how he could stay there, but I don't see how he could have gotten, I didn't see how he could have been confirmed either. So yeah. for me, it's sort of like, uh, you know, yeah. at this point, I, I don't want to assume that I know what's going to happen. My guess is he'll probably be like, oh, whoops, I didn't, I didn't mean it. I didn't realize that, you know, the question was what it was. I mean, they're already fucking dancing their normal bullshit. So. They'll probably investigate themselves, find out that nothing is fucking wrong. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, I checked on myself and everything was great. Yay. I mean, what, how do you, how do you take that seriously? Like, what's that, what's that even mean? <laughs> so I don't, uh, maybe I'm just overly cynical, but I think he'll probably slough it off because he's rich and white and can do that kind of shit. What part of the country are you guys in? I am in Oregon, Kool-Aid. And yeah, Sessions is a douche. I'm in California for now. I wish I could tell you guys more about what's going to happen, but it looks like I won't be in California for the whole summer. Unless something changes dramatically. I'll be going someplace else, which I'll be able to talk about when I'm allowed to talk about it. But it's going to be a big grow, so you guys will like it. Right so on. Hopefully, hopefully, come May or June, we'll be up uh, with some cool, cool content. Yeah, so pretty much going to be focused on cranking out some plans here. And, uh, um, oh, right on, Kool Aid. I like Eugene. It's a cool place. I used to live in Oak Ridge when I was, uh, let's see, fifth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. Lived in Oak Ridge for a little while. Um, anyway, so I got a couple of projects going on here. I'm gonna build some other earth boxes and sort of expand the indoor. Probably get some new lights. Um, I have an old server rack here that I use for drying. Um, I'm gonna turn it into sort of like a little self-contained uh, AP system. And uh, I don't know. I'll either use it for clones or flower plant in it or something. But see, it's sitting over here. I got it all stripped down. My little pile of crap over here. But uh, <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be great. Epic. Make a make a co write a comedy about a guy that like secretly replaces a bunch of the server cabinets with like weed grows in the middle of the server room. Hey, it'll be just like Legoland. Did you see that shit? Oh yeah, that was so awesome. For those it'll of be you just like that, know, it'll be like <laughs> you'll find it at, like GoDaddy.com, like a whole server room or a whole uh, whole room <laughs> will be just nothing but. <laughs> Aquaponic server cabinets. Yeah, there was a. They found in Legoland, the UK, 
there was a couple of abandoned buildings in the back of the property and they uh went in there after they saw somebody like going in there and found like a whole huge grow up that was running inside of this place <laughs> it was a lot of fucking plants man yeah it wasn't even like a little grow up either it was like <laughs> borderline commercial scale <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty legit i was impressed i'm gonna uh see what i can do about getting out to the uh the dgc cup here hopefully i'll be able to make it out there with uh fish ganja guy maybe do a an episode from there It'd be kind of cool we're trying to work yeah, something uh, out right now it's pretty cheap for me to fly around trip to to denver from here so <laughs> that story yeah. was pretty unbelievable i'm not sure which story you're talking about brian brain i don't know why i'm well i do know why i'm dyslexic but your name fucked with my head <laughs> which unbelievable story could you be more specific all right there was a bunker found in australia this week too um hold on let's see if i can find the article real quick in armadale australia has medical launching pretty soon right or at, did launch or something yeah medical has been passed i don't think they have their their grows license or set up yet so but yeah they had a big bunker that got un uncovered down there and uh there's lots of different um I don't know. The biggest news has been like the sky is falling from the uh, the announcement at the end of last week with uh, that happened like right before the show last week about, you know, them possibly coming after um, patients again. So, man, um, I'll see. I'll see if I can. I'll see if I can. Uh, what I'm allowed to say. Next time, hopefully, I'll have some more news. I have a real big project coming up that I think you guys are going to really, really, really enjoy. And we'll get a lot of super kick-ass content out of with some people that uh, have been around for a while. So be a lot of fun. Um, what else do we... Let me find my chart here for what I had for the podcast. Um, oh, shout out to True Aquaponics. Um, you know, we, uh, both use their stuff pretty regularly now and, um, they were uh, kind enough to put me on their website for, for helping people for doing consulting and stuff. So, um, I don't pay them. They don't pay me or anything like that. I just, you know, do a portion of their stuff for them, um, as far as, uh, helping him with customers once in a while. So, um, yeah, give them a shout out. Um, you know, I don't get paid out of that. So, um, yeah. Give me, give him, uh, thanks for helping us do that. And, um, um, yeah, thanks for supporting the show that way. So if you're looking for any nutrients, go check him out over there. And, uh, what did I have? Oh, I bought something for me. I don't remember what it was now. Um, I think it was iron. He's always, he's always going around telling everyone they need iron, which I'm sure sometimes is accurate, but <laughs> it's not, not always. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, he's, I think he means well enough. And, uh, and definitely he does a lot of research to make sure that he has aquaponic friendly um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Nutrients or, you know, and, and a lot of stuff too, that's not even nutrients. Like he has a, you know, I think a really good solution for a tank heater. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just different, uh, just different things you need to do aquaponics as opposed to just nutrients also. So, um, you know, I definitely think that he, he does as good a job as you can in researching all the stuff that he provides. And if he's not comfortable with it or he's not sure, then he doesn't, doesn't provide it. So I think that's a, that's a huge benefit to all his customers. He did a super killer write up on powdery mildew that he posted up today. It's really, really good. Cool. Um, if you guys are interested, go check it out over there. Um, I had a, Oh, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it last time or not. I might have, but congratulations on South Africa becoming the first African nation to legalize medical cannabis. Um, it's a big step forward, and that country could really use it, the income and uh, you know helping people with uh, with AIDS patients because the country definitely um, you know could could use the help. Um, before we were going to talk about trace. Well, do you have any other topics you want to touch on? Then I'll touch on this other. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, somebody asked about trace elements. Um, we'll cover a couple real quick. Um, these are just like five of them. Um, that you you know, want at least can you know aren't super critical. But if you're having a couple of phantom issues, um, somebody actually asked on the group. I think it was, I don't know, maybe like a month ago about cobalt. Um, so the ideal cobalt range. Uh, is 0.5 parts per million. Um, the best way to dose it if you don't have enough is cobalt sulfate, and it helps uh, for your beneficial microbes. It also helps the plants with their immune system and their uh, like stress resistance, kind of like um, not exactly in a, chemically, but in a similar manner to to silica, where it helps the plant defend off diseases more than you know actually solve a disease in its, in and of itself um, or any kind of pest issue. Um, Iodine can also be um, another thing that, especially if you're having a lot of fish health issues or fungal issues, you can dose, uh, you know, give them a do- dip your fish in an iodine-rich water for a short period of time. Helps sometimes with that, or even taking your fish out and using iodine directly on the fish wound. But in a system, you know, you want to aim for about 0.5 parts per million um, for iodine. Um, and then if you're going to dose, use Lugos iodine which is commonly available for both the animal and aquatics trades. Um, you can get them in most higher-end pet shops um, in a little eyedropper usually. Um, nickel you want at about 0.1 parts per million. Um, if you need to add more, you can, you can use nickel sulfate. Helps with um, enzyme production and as well as uh, proper metabolism in the plants. Uh, it was only discovered as a plant essential nutrient in 2004. Um, and there isn't, there's some really good information out on it, but there's not much, um, but a little bit there is, is all, you know, from the collegiate level. So it's a, something else to consider if you're running into a couple phantom issues. Um, sodium, um, we actually had, uh, somebody texted me or emailed me this week about sodium. Um, the ideal levels for sodium for plant growth is about one part per million, 0.5 to one parts per million. Um, you can add this with sodium, you know, literally anything sodium car. Uh, sodium uh, and calcium, sodium and magnesium, you know, there's all different kinds of stuff. 
So, um, and it aids in certain uh, plant nutrient availability and certain microbes um, need a little bit of it um, in order to give you that proper uh, proper mix. And then the last one is uh, Vandium. Um, and the recommended levels for Vandium is 0.5 to 1 parts per million. Um, and this helps with chemical, uh, acts as a chemical substitute for molybdenum. So if you're, you know, doing really heavy, um, um, really colorful, color popping cannabis, um, you know, adding a little tiny bit of that um, uh, can be a, a good way to, to help it. Or if you're running, you know, absolutely zero, um, you know, if you're still running into some weird color issues, it can be something that, uh, you know, you can look into as far as alternative in that realm. Um, but chemically, it functions very similar to molybdenum. Um, those those are something I've been meaning to do for a podcast or two, and it just got pushed back uh, because of um, different topics or timelines and stuff like that. The other one, we had a question about germination. Um, I like to germinate my seeds um, in... Um, in a glass of water first, uh, and you know, about six pH, six point five pH, something like that, a little slightly on the lower side. Um, and then, uh, you know, you can also do it in tap water. It's not going to make that big of a difference. Um, and then also putting, you know, maybe a, a quarter to half a shot of, um, actually about a half shot of peroxide, three percent peroxide, in a uh, eight ounce glass of water and then put your seeds in works really good for helping extra oxygen in the water and getting those seeds to crack. And if you still don't are having luck, um, we've talked about in the past, the seed sprout tea, seed sprout tea is a really good one, a method, um, where you germinate a bunch of other seeds, uh, usually corn or beans or something else pretty easily or readily on hand. And then you take that water and pour it off into your, corn another is super cup. Easy. yeah, corn's the best one. Great. Um, and then putting that uh, water into the cup with your, your older seeds or hard to germinate seeds. And a lot of times that, that extra hormone from those other seeds helps a lot with getting them germinated. And then after that, just do your phenome hunt. So Kool-Aid asks if, um, if you've ever used Microbe Life products. Not, I haven't. I, I don't know what they are. So. Oh, yeah, let's get to that. Let me find that link. All right. So there was a pretty ridiculous post that we've gotten a couple questions of this week. I need to go up and find it. Oh, is that from that same post? Yeah, it's the one you sent me. Oh, no, this Kool-Aid just asked in the comments um, about oh. using microbe life specifically. Oh, microbe products. Okay. Let me look here. Oh, so I've seen this stuff in the store. I didn't get a chance to look at the label. Which one specifically? I check out the label. And oh, uh, you, you know, it's label? basically a whole lot of the you know the usual suspects in terms of uh, uh, microbes. So I. I didn't see anything that was alarming, but um, I didn't buy it. I didn't use it, so can't tell you for sure. But they do have it at my local hydro store. Oh, um, I've used a lot of their products in aquaponics, but I'd have to see the specific product you're asking about. Um, it's photosynthesis plus O. That's their like their base one that they have. <clears throat> 
I've seen it before and I've heard people, um, I've heard people say that it's safe. I think it even says on the bottle that it's uh, either aquaponics or fish safe, but it was pretty spendy and I didn't feel like buying it, <laughs> basically. I'd have to look at the, that doesn't have any, oh, hold on. There's a label. Oh God, it's so small. I'd have to see a full-size label for this. Um, oh, you know, we can do it. I'll look it up next time. If you want to email me the exact products that you want, I'll, I'll go through it for next episode. I'm having a hard time finding the MSDS. Hold on, give me two more seconds. I'll see if I can find it here. But um, it really just depends on what's in it. Hold on, okay. So it's got a bunch of microbes in it. And then where's the minerals that are in it? it seemed like it was like a little bit of kelp extract or something in it also. Besides that, I don't remember what it was, but as long as there's like no microbes and a little bit of food. Yucca is the biggest issue with fish. Um uh, yucca contains saponin, and if you concentrate saponin, you can actually use it for um, killing stuff. So it's microbe life photosynthesis plus. Let's see. I don't really have much. No way of ingredients on here. Looks like it's mostly a microbial product with a little bit of phosphorus and a little bit of potassium. Okay, driver phosphoric acid and potassium sulfate. So, yeah, this, I don't see a reason why that would be at all an issue to use in aquaponics. That should do just fine. Um, all right, should we get to this? Ridiculous post we saw there you sent me or sure go for is it. Another, is there another question before then? I mean, I don't even really want to post the link to that just because I feel like oh, I don't want to I'm not gonna post a link to the Article I just wanted to go over like how ridiculous this is Anyways, so our friends uh, <laughs> So we have some friends and, uh, uh, well, not friends, people that really, really don't like the fact that we do an aquaponic cannabis show and um, <laughs> love to find ways to uh, to try and annoy us. So um, they have this, um, made this amazing post the other day, um, and uh, it was kind of funny. Um, they recommended not oversizing your aer aeration, which is pretty laughable. Um, there was no, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know. Um, they said that EM1 and beneficial microbes and other things like mammoth pea have no place in aquaponics because they imbalance the system. Again, there is zero evidence to back any of that up. In fact, all the, all the evidence is much to the contrary. Um, they greatly benefit your system. We've been preaching the praises of teas and ferments for what over a year now. Um, we've been working with them the whole, you know, years and over five years, six years this year for me in aquaponics specifically. I know you've been doing it 
Um, I know we've both been doing teas and uh, ferments for at least 10 years in gardening, um, <laughs> if not more. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, another one they had, that one here, black soldier flies and worms um, uh, cause disease. That's the opposite of what they do. Um, black soldier flies, they're actually a ma uh, larva or a maggot. Um, they have uh, antibiotic shit, um, you know, poop. Uh, and that <laughs> um, basically helps kill microbes. Uh, worms have microbes in their gut that break down E. coli and salmonella. Again, excuse me, reducing your overall um, levels of E. coli and salmonella. Um, this has been heavily, heavily documented in soil uh, soil uh, cleanup and a bunch, a whole bunch of other stuff. Like where they're getting this wonky donkey information is just beyond me. Um, and. Uh, um, Recommending you should never dose pH down, another laughable concept. Um, why would you do that? Um, we all know that you need to keep your pH within a certain level. Um, and if you do start off with high pH, that's what you need to do. Um, and then there was another one about not adding potassium to the system. We all know that your plants, especially flowering crops, need need potassium and even leafy greens need to ha keep a potassium level between you know ideally the average for the whole industry if you count uh, Rikosius research uh, UBI UVA um, University of Wisconsin University of Hawaii is actually 67 parts per million which is not what you're gonna get through fish food so um, you know be mindful that just because someone's been around for a long time doesn't mean all mean they know what they're doing and that um, uh, there's a lot of just really garbage information out there. Um, so, you know, be mindful of that. Like I just, I couldn't, I was beside myself when I saw this because what happens is you get people that go out there, they take this stuff seriously and then they end up screwing their system up, killing a bunch of stuff. Then they get disinterested in the, in the hobby and then they don't want to do it anymore or they think it doesn't work or they spread bad information because they got a bad education. It's not that they're a bad grower. They just weren't told the right material um so you know i really had a this was just too outrageous and had too many things out there that were just just completely ridiculous i really just had to take some time and address this because you know there's no reason for it especially when they're uh these guys have been used by the dea as sock puppets already so yeah i think it's just i mean it was so outrageous like i had to send it to you because i knew you were gonna you know think this the same thing about a lot of that stuff and uh i i just can't even imagine like oh yeah i'm just gonna pick random reasons why stuff happened and then be like act like an, an authority on it and uh and like even just as you read through it in the explanation of like or, or lack thereof i guess of how they drew all these conclusions was oh, just yeah, laughable it just I couldn't, and, and that's the problem, like you were saying, like, and, and that's why I don't want to post a link to it, because I feel like people will just go to it and, you know. Give them more traffic. Right, and still, you know, think, oh, well, you know, maybe I should do it like these people, or listen to them, or, or even just click another link on that same website. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't know, I like, or just give it any more attention than it deserves, but it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, like you, you have to do things like 
I, I'm all for researching on the internet and watching our podcast and watching other podcasts yeah. and other people's videos. Um, and, but I, the, I feel like what actually gets you over the hump of understanding a lot of this stuff is physically doing it yourself so that you, it helps you weed out all the complete nonsense from, from the actual information that's worth sharing. And so, yeah, you know, it, it's a fine line to walk uh, of learning from others and, and sharing information and, and trying to grow in that way as opposed to just uh, blindly listening or whatever else. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. this is from a, a same company that pushes you don't need to dose iron and a bunch of other silly things that we all know are not true. So, um, yeah, they, they did a whole hit piece on me at a, a, one of the big conventions a couple of years ago. And uh, it was pretty, it was like just really funny because you could tell it was just the DEA talking through them. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anyways, that just, it was too ridiculous. They talk about just a whole bunch of just made up crap in this post. Um, I just, I couldn't. The only thing that I, I agreed with in their whole thing was a little bit about citric acid over long term. We're talking like one year plus heavy use, but that's about it. Anyways, I would just be, be careful where you get your information. And I'm not saying that we're 100% right on everything. We're not. And I'm not going to go and tell you that I'm the only one that knows how to do stuff. Uh, I will tell you that I've experimented with a lot, and I've had a lot of experience with a lot of different methods, and I can explain to you why a lot of them didn't work or the problems that we ran into. Um, but, uh, you know, to go out there and just say that a bunch of this stuff is just to try and make more money when it actually is that is not at all the case it's just absolutely ludicrous and you know to have uh, some of these bigger companies out there putting out some of this ridiculous information you can't be having that we gotta that's what's so important about you know doing podcasts like this and for some of the other people um like colin or, or uh, column who we had on there puts out good information and shows you his garden every week and shows you that it's working you know and stuff like that so or Marty. Marty posts all of his stuff all the time. You know, if you have a question, he can explain to you what happened and why it happened rather than just pulling stuff out of thin air and saying, oh, well, this doesn't work. You know, you don't know that. Like, come on. You've never tested that. You're just saying it because it's different than what you preach. Right. Or because you, read a lot it, of these guys or you do. watched it in bright agritech's video or whatever. You oh, know, yeah. Like, they're, they're, so. another big, they're another big source of, especially when you used to work for Aquaponics Source, like a lot of these different things that come out and try to be like the standalone authority end up causing far more problems than they solve. That's why Marty and I both will tell you, we don't know everything. We'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you some real good recommendations that are backed up with data that I could send you. Marty's seen some of the back ends of stuff that I, I do. I can show you all kinds of data charts to back up what I'm saying or the numbers or, you know, or the plants, whatever I think that's it, or the plants. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately, the, you know, the plants and the product and being able like, I feel like you have to show, show your garden over time. Um, you know, if I'm looking at it as somebody who's going to take a video as a credible source, I'm looking at, you know, can, can I see this over time? Do they share what their methods are? You know, is there more than just like the picture of the end result and like maybe two pictures of some clones at the beginning, you know, like, yeah. Uh, you know, where where's the in between and sort of the, 
you know, the explanation behind it. So I do feel like it's important if you're sharing information, whether you're doing it in like a grow log in an IC mag type format, or, you know, there, there has to be some level of transparency. And, uh, and even in places like, you know, like I mentioned, IC mag, I feel like it used to be a great place to do stuff like that. And now it's, uh, you know, maybe not as much, it, you know, it's sort of an elitist kind of crowd where, you know, they don't, they don't want to hear anything besides, you know, what sort of their fan base, I guess, beats the drum to. And so, um, so I don't post anything there anymore and haven't for a long time, but, um, you know, anything that's like that, I feel like it's important to, uh, uh, to have and, and to be a credible source of, you know, for somebody like myself, who's just, you know, growing plants and as sort of a, an experiment and to provide for myself and share information with others that, um, you know, it's important to show over time when you make mistakes. Uh, you know, I've showed, like, if you look at my, my second girl, I almost destroyed it with bug spray. Um, you know, but I leave all that stuff up there and leave all those videos in there because, you know, it's, it's important. I feel like for, for people starting out to be able <clears throat> to see that, uh, you know, first of all, that that can happen, you know, maybe you can watch me, uh, do it and not do it yourself. Um, and, and second of all, just to know what it looks like. So if you see it, uh, you know, if you see the same type of thing happen to your plants, you have something to compare it to. So I feel like a lot of growers, I'll, I'll immediately start ignoring some of their videos if, if they, uh, you know, they don't you know, finish a series or they only post the beginning and the end. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I just feel like it needs to be slightly more transparent than that. That's what was cool about having um, Old Fart Grows on the show. He does those super, super long format videos where he's just, you know, basically over his shoulder while he's working in the grow. And he just yes. shows you absolutely everything. If you got a question, you know, you want to see the exact pruning technique. You want to see, like, the angle that he bends over when he's trimming his shit or whatever. You can, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, so I feel like you should just have like a live stream, you know, like four hours a day in the garden or something, you know, like right. Uh, he's a cool old guy, though. I, I really like that that show a lot. We should have him back on. That was awesome. He's a great dude. I was just hanging out with him a week or two ago here at, out at Eden. He lives not super far from here, so um, yeah, might you might be able to might be doing more with him in the future, and we'll definitely get him back on the show because. Uh, uh, he's doing a lot of really awesome work with uh, extractions and with and uh, medicate you know edible medications um, that I think is definitely out ahead of the, the rest of the industry. So awesome! Yeah, and I love having him back on. He was a lot of fun. I like his format too. The way you know, um, it's a different approach than you see for you know even even myself. I usually shoot a couple minute update videos and try to do just a couple minutes every few days and uh you know he shoots those long extended periods like i mean there's no way i'm gonna <laughs> like i mean i have a great appreciation for it just because i know that there's no way that i would i i would have the patience to film myself <laughs> doing all of that stuff for that that length of time and uh, upload it and just <laughs> uh so yeah I, I appreciate the amount of work that he puts into it and i think it comes out really cool and and clearly the, um, the people that, uh, you know, that watch it have a great time. He gets a lot of comments and, um, you know, he has a great time with it. So I really enjoy his channel. So check out old fart grows if you haven't, haven't done it. Oh, um, if 
you haven't checked it out before, he was on one of our episodes before. I don't remember which one it was, but um, yeah, episode something, I think. One of the lower 20s, I think it was. Um, it's so cool that we've done the show this much. We have a really awesome guest lined up for next week. We have uh, Gina Cavallera from... Um, uh, oh, what the hell is the name of there? Green Acre Farms in Florida. Um, and uh, that'll be really cool. Green Gina is one of my uh, favorite people in the industry. I did a chance to take her farm class. Um, did a bunch of cool stuff with her. And... Um, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with her, especially when I worked at the aquaponics source. And she's one of the funner, cooler people in the industry as far as someone to just, you know, be around, especially in a work environment. It's really fun and <laughs> always cracking me up. So um, it'll be really fun to get her on the show. Um, and then we have, uh, after that, we have um, Damien. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting his last name. Gentleman from... Um, uh, I'm sorry, Dave Pearson. That's it. Dave Pearson after that um, lined up for um, he works out at uh, Barbados uh, and it'll be really cool to get him on the show. Um, and yeah, um, we have uh, I'm going to be looking to schedule a medicinal herb class at the end of uh, April, hopefully here too, uh, if anyone else is interested in that. Yeah, I was wondering, do you do like, a, isn't it like two days, right? Yep, it's a two-day class, and the medicinal herb class is a little more complicated than the cannabis class. Well, I guess in terms of total knowledge, um, because you learn more planting methods and planting techniques, and the nutrients are covered a little bit differently because you have to account for some wonky stuff, and the germination stuff is covered a little bit differently because you have to account for plants that are hard to grow, harder to grow than cannabis. And so, yeah, it's a slightly more advanced class, but it's a lot of fun. That's cool. How long is the class? Did you say a couple hours? Oh, no. Both classes are two-day classes. The cannabis class is a little bit shorter um, just because there's a little less material. The cannabis class is about a day and a half, and then the, the herb class is the full two days. That's cool. So you're, you're, are you streaming like full eight hours a day, or what's the, what's the schedule? Like, I'm just trying to be your uh, sure. devil's yeah. advocate here. <laughs> um, so basically you, you come and we give you a full tour of Ouroboros farms out in um, uh, San Francisco or I guess they're in Half Moon Bay now that I think about it uh, out in Half Moon Bay right near San Francisco um, we go over all the different stuff that's going on there they have a whole bunch of different herbs and the different um, planting methods uh, that they have showing off uh, there and then we cover the filtration and stuff and then we um, you know we cover pruning and other things like that hands on um, and cloning and all that stuff, uh, taking cuttings, and then the the teaching portion. Um, you know, we cover all the different nutrients, system design, um, how to manage your nutrient levels, how to adjust them. Uh, I, you know, integrated pest management, um, all all the different things, climate control, processing, um, all the different things that you would had you know harvesting all the different things you would need to know if you're going to try to do medicinal herbs or cannabis, depending on the class. So basically everything you would need if you'd never even taken an aquaponics class before. Now you'll, you'll understand more if you have a little bit of an aquaponics background, but um, you'll, you know, you can come into it totally blind and, and you'll come out feeling like you know what to do, or at least that you have the resources with you now to, to get that accomplished. Obviously you're not going to take the class once and start your own company, but you know, it would definitely give you enough to, to, wrap your head around everything and and um you know 
really have a good understanding of it. We do a much more in-depth, um, or I do a much more in-depth uh, section on nutrients than anyone else I've I've seen in the uh, aquaponics industry for sure. Can you repeat the class info for Kool Aid? He asked in the chat. <laughs> as far as um, just, I think what the date was is probably what he's referring to. Oh, sure. Or where so to go, the, maybe to to sign up for it. Sure. So if you're looking to sign up for any of those classes, go to Ouroboros Farm. O u o u r o b o r o s ouroborosfarms.com. Um, and then that'll have a link to all the different classes. They have medicinal herb classes. Uh, I have my classes, medicinal herbs, and then the cannabis class. Um, he also has an uh, aquaponics 101. He has an aquaponics, uh, basically aquaponics 102, kind of a second level class. And then um, he also has a, the farming course, uh, which is like a three or four day intensive farm course. Um, that is also really good if you're looking to do more commercial stuff. Cool. So definitely give him a ch you know check him out over there, um, you know we'll be doing those classes about once a month this year, unless some uh, radical changes. You have any like uh, any way for people to participate online or is it strictly in person? Uh, we're working on that. We're trying to figure out um, the best way to facilitate that. It's something that we're hoping to do here in the future. Um, I know especially once we get this other farm online. Um, here, once we get our greenhouse online here, it'll be much easier to facilitate. Or once I travel here to the place I can't talk about yet, um, we'll have a pretty ridiculous grow there that we can also do, uh, um, you know, some companion in-person stuff. Aside from teaching in Ouroboros, we'll have some other niftier stuff available uh, later on. But yeah, we'll, we'll have some before. We're hoping in the next month or two to uh, to work out the logistics on the the online portion. Cool. I was personally interested too because I have a. There's a guy here. Has a. I'll give him a plug here. Actually, it's called the Ladybug Store. I think there's the Ladybug, um, or no, Ladybug mm -hmm. Indoor Gardens. That's what it's called, and it's in Phoenix, um, Oregon, here just south of Medford. And he carries beneficial insects, so ladybugs, uh, various types of predator mites, um, and a few other things. He's got praying mantis eggs. Um, all kinds of good stuff and, he, and he'll ship anywhere too so if you go to uh, naturescure.com is his website um, and uh, so he's been bugging me for a while now to do an aquaponics class because they have an aquaponics system there it's like a model um, and so he wants to have some uh, have a class there in person and then also broadcast it through maybe like a, a Google Hangouts group and have like 10 seats available so um, hopefully trying to put together something like that pretty soon also. And uh, one of the hangups that we'll have is that um, he can't really have the, he can't really keep the plants there. So I may end up having to work my way around that. But um, at any rate, <laughs> may see that coming down the pipe. And uh, been there. so my, uh, my rolling server rack may uh, make it <laughs> in handy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> nice rack there marty nice rack that's right <laughs> um does anyone else in chat have any other questions kind of approaching our normal ish end time did you have anything other topics or anything else you wanted to cover 
in the short term. We could, I guess we could talk a little bit about the Mammoth P coming out with their new products. I haven't had a chance to really look at them. I looked at it a little bit, and you know, it sounds, uh, you know, a lot the similar lines as the phosphorus stuff, and uh, you know, I would I would expect it to be high quality and and what is it what it says it is, and it'll probably be available in samples. If you keep an eye on their website, they they take their sample page up and down, so sometimes it's not available. It's only they only put it up when they have samples. So um, if you see a broken link, for instance, a lot of times people try to share it, and it's only up for a certain amount of time and then goes away. Um, so you you kind of have to keep an eye on their website, but they will give out uh, samples. And uh, you know, just going back to what I said before, um, you know, is it is experiment with something and. Um, a lot of these places will give you samples to get started, whether it's an aquaponic system or, you know, uh, I mentioned the probiotic wellness gardens. Those are great, easy to do SIPs, uh, which are sub-irrigated planters, very easy to maintain, uh, very easy to keep probiotic, uh, you know, make some labs at home. You know, we have lots of different resources for that kind of stuff. Check out the Facebook group, Aquaponic Cannabis uh, Growers. Um, Check out Steve's channel, Ponics, my channel, AP Meds, uh, the Duke Grows Show, uh, hosts a lot of our stuff. Fish uh, Ganja Guy. Yeah, I think we're gonna have we're gonna have Ganja Guy unless you. I think uh, we're gonna have him on the show a little bit more often. He's putting out a lot of content and is good uh, in case one of us is busy or can't make it. It'll be a good. Uh, Kind of having a ringer for to fill in for other one of us going forward, I think, is a a good thing. <laughs> so I was trying to find more info on their website here about uh, Mammoth K and Mammoth N, but I'm not finding much. I'm sure I'll find an article up on it. We'll we'll talk about it next week. So sounds good. Yeah, I'll have to check it out some more too. But I think it'd be good. I mean, obviously, some of the ones that uh, you know, like the Mammoth End, for instance, may not. Yeah, that might not be, be good. Be as beneficial. <laughs> we usually have nitrifying bacteria, sort of, sort of covered, or at least you should. But it might be good for starting up systems. That's what um, I was thinking. It might be a great seeding product for for new uh, new systems, just like you were saying. Right. All right, so anybody have any other questions? I don't think so. Shout out to uh, Kool-Aid from Eugene joining us. I always like guys who are active in chat or, oh. or women who are active in chat. I don't want to assume anything. <laughs> I wanted to say a big shout out and thank you to everyone. Um, I'm going to do a separate little video on this, but thanks to everyone who subscribed to my channel. I finally broke a thousand subscribers here in the last 24 hours and meant to do a little video. Maybe it was 48 hours ago, but just recently broke a thousand subscribers on potent Ponics channel. So I appreciate it. I'm going to be, um, hopefully in the next three or so days, I might even get enough time to do it today. I got, it depends. I got a bunch juggling a bunch of stuff right now. Um, start doing those individual nutrient videos, um, and try to dispel a bunch of this. I'm going to do kind of like a Mythbusters. Maybe not exactly like Mythbusters, but real in-depth videos and some of this stuff and get rid of some of the, to try and push out some of the bad information like we were talking about earlier. Um, we'll do one on microbes. We'll do one on high versus high nutrient systems versus low nutrient systems and try to stomp out some of this silly information that's out there that's passed off as legitimate. 
Sounds good, man. Alrighty. Um, thanks everyone for joining us. Um, make sure you check out Marty's channel over at AP Meds. Um, mine's PotentPonics. You can always email me at potentponics.com if you have a question or anything. Um, you know, fire us off an email. So, thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a good one. Hopefully, I'll have those uh, intro and outro finished before next time. <laughs> we got a rough copy uh, done already. We just got to tweak it a little. So, <laughs> all right. Have like a good it. one, guys. Peace. Later.